Shabbat Shalom, and uh, welcome to our newest year of Talmud. Uh, we wanted to uh, introduce our newest assistant rabbi <laughs> named Eder Matan Rosenberger. He's right now just um, a young assistant rabbi, but he's kind of taken it. He doesn't say all that much, but he observes everything, and we're so, uh, we're he's so, a he's a true believer. Uh, for, for, he's almost had this with his mother's milk, you know, shul. <laughs> Uh, and so, Elisa, welcome back. And, and Ader, welcome to you. Yay. So, for our first class uh, this uh, new year, which is happening on the day that tonight is Silichot, and we really begin the high holiday, I wanted to ask you to kind of hold two questions in your mind as you think about Silichot, Rosh Hashanah, which of course is next Shabbos, and, uh, and Yom Kippur. One is, do you want to be working on your beliefs? Usually for the high holiday season, we think about working on our deeds. I'm always late. I need to be more punctual. I always fly off the handle. I need to be more even-keeled. I'm always envious. I need to be more grateful. I'm always critical. I need to see the light most positive. That's what we usually think about deeds, do you want to be in the market of changing your beliefs, or repairing your beliefs, or restoring your beliefs? Do you want to be thinking about, I need to actually think again about God. I need to think again about my relationship to faith kinds of issues. That's the first question. And then the second question is, if you do, how do you do that? If you want to work on your beliefs, how do you work on your beliefs? And I'll just share one vignette, and then we'll get into our content. Um, this lecture, uh, the, the, the sources here come from a lecture that Daniel Hartman did at Hartman. It was the opening lecture. And he talks about the importance of creed, believing stuff in, in, in Judaism. And he says in his lecture, it's online, you can watch it, that he's always envied people who have more faith than he does. He's always envied people who have more belief than he does. And, um, and that's something that he wants to work on. And I thought to myself, yes, I will try to do that too. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, I said Kaddish for my father, my first father, uh, when I was 20 years old. And I was saying it at Harvard Hillel, which is mostly an Orthodox minion. And my most vivid memory from 40 years later is envy at the mostly Orthodox people who had real kavana. And I would say the Amidah, and it would kind of be over somewhat like that. And I'd think about my dad, and I'd think about my day, what's going on during the day. And on a good day, I'd think about some of the words in the prayers. And then I'm done. And I would look around and I would see true kavana and much longer amidas and deep connection and deep conviction and deep faith. And I thought, wow, I wish I could have that. Now I'm saying Kaddish 42 years later. And when I say Kaddish, I think about my father, my second father. I think about my day. On a good day, I think about some of the words. <laughs> but I still have the fastest Amidah in the West. 
And uh, especially when I'm in Israel davening with my brother-in-law, Shul, his, you know, again, Orthodox synagogue, their Amidahs last forever and with, you know, a lot of intensity and conviction that I, I don't muster and can't muster. Um, so the questions are, do you want to work on your beliefs? And if, if you don't, then good. But if you do, how do we do it? So on those questions, and let's thank God for the gift of learning Torah, and then we'll get into our sources. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech olam asher kiddushanu b'mitzotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Fa'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torah t'cha b'finu v'fi amcha b'Yisrael v'nihia anachnu v'tzatzainu v'tzatzai amcha b'Yisrael k'ulani yod'ei shemecha v'lamdei Torah t'cha lishma Baruch atar noi hamalame Torah lamo Yisrael. Baruch atar noi lehenu melech olam. Asher bachar banu mikoha amim. Benatan lanu et Torato. Baruch atar noi notein haTorah. So the packet that you have uh, uh, is 18 sources from Daniel Hartman, um, and it's as they say in Hebrew, Maleva Gadush, rich and full. I want to just kind of break it up into three different parts, and then we'll explore each part with my colleagues here, and then we can talk about all of it in our conversation. Here's the first part. Uh, Daniel begins his lecture by noting that Christianity is a religion of faith, that in their own language they are justified by faith. Uh, that is to say, if I believe that Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, died on the cross for my sins, then that's, that's the work I need to do. And the first several sources here, the first three sources are Christian statements of creed that if I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he's my Lord and Savior, I'm good. And therefore, that's what makes the Torah the Old Testament because if I have that faith, then, then I don't have to keep kosher. And if I have that faith, then I don't have to have a circumcision. Uh, as Christians put it, and it's in these sources, I'm, I'm circumcised in my heart. I have a circumcised heart. I don't need to circumcise my body. I have a circumcised heart because I believe in Jesus. Uh, and therefore, the laws of the Torah become Old Testament, and they're justified by faith. And the Christian critique, um, the Christian critique is, by contrast to Christians who are about faith, Judaism is a religion of deed, not creed. That's a Christian critique. Right? We Christians, we, we've got the new, the new word. We're about faith. We're about creed. Old Jews, with their Old Testament, they're about deed, not creed. They actually have to keep kosher. They actually do the sacrifices. They actually still have to circumcise themselves. Can you believe it? Right? And they're deed, not creed. And Daniel points out that's a Christian critique that Jews have internalized. Um, and that we have then said it to ourselves, you know, that famous Cohn goes to Shul to pray to God and Garfinkel goes to pray to, Co to talk to, to, to Cohn. For all the Garfinkels in the world, doesn't matter, let Cohn talk to God. Garfinkel, you talk to Cohn, we're about deed, not creed. But part one of the sources are that we are filled with creed. That Judaism is first and foremost a religion of beliefs. And we're, the part one of this is going to be that... Um, that the Torah tells us there is a God. Uh, we are commanded to believe in God. That's actually the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Believe in God is the first believe. 
B-E-L-I-E-V-E, I guess I do spell. <laughs> Belief is the first commandment. And then also God is one. Shema Yisrael, Also, um, God created the world, etc. That's part one. So we actually have a lot of creed. It's not true that we're about deed, not creed. We're about creed as well as deed. Part two, this is going to be harder, is Maimonides makes such a simus about creed, such a simus about belief, um, that you'll find his language off-putting, and we'll look about this. Uh, now, we all know it from Yigdal, you know, the 13 principles, but he says that believing stuff, believe, that Jews are supposed to believe, Jews are expected to believe, Jews are commanded to believe, and if you don't believe, then you're out the system, and you're going to see that. And then part three is going to be, well, if belief is so important, and if we don't believe, then what do we do? Part three is going to be about recovery. What do we do with belief? So uh, that's, uh, that's 18 sources broken up into three parts. Dear colleagues, can we turn to page, um, page three? And this is Daniel's point that unlike the Christian critique, which so many Jews have internalized, that we're about deed, not creed, we're all about creed uh, on page three, source five, when God began to create heaven and earth, that there is a God and God created the world. Um, then source six, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. So that's like believe in God and God is the God of Exodus, God is the God of redemption. Um, then there is... Um, Adonai Echad, God is one, etc. Um, and uh, just so that, uh, I'll just do one more point here and then we'll uh, pray for conversation. If you look on page four, Maimonides on page four in the Mishnah Torah says that the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of wisdom is to know that there is a primary being who brought into being all existence and the knowledge of this concept is a positive commandment as implied, I am God, your Lord. In other words, you got to believe. And there's stuff you got to believe, and the Torah is filled with it. So, dear colleagues, um, how do you engage this part of our tradition? Can I ask a question? Sure. I want to put a question to the table. What is the problem of being a uh, religion of creed and not deed? Well, uh, the opposite. What is the... What is what is our problem with being a, a religion of deeds and not creeds? So I think I honestly think right. that based on what you said before, that Daniel Hartman went, you know, he's envious of people who believe more. Right. That this is his own therapy session, <laughs> trying to convince himself that he believes. Well, yeah. Colleagues, I mean, I can answer that, but I've been talking too much. So, colleagues, what? I wanna, I wanna jump oh, I, I, no, I think there are a lot of Garfinkels who come to talk to Cohn. Um, that's Daniel, that's me, that's most of Temple Emmanuel, from what I can tell, are Garfinkels who want to talk to Cohn. I mean, most, most of us live for the kiddish, all right? Um, but I think what he's pointing out, this is, I don't think this is therapy. I think he's actually asking us to encounter a hard truth, which is our religious tradition does have a lot of belief in it. And I think it would behoove us to wrestle with, to grapple with, the belief that's in the tradition that's not necessarily in our heart. Dan? I, I'm going to try to answer you, Elias, because I mean, I, I, I have the same question, because I grew up on that. I, didn't, I actually had no idea that the idea that Na'asev and Shema that we do, 
right. therefore that helps us believe, you know, do the mitzvot and that puts you in the position. I always thought that was a Jewish concept. I didn't realize that that was a Christian critique of, uh, of, of Judaism. Um, and I, so therefore, I actually believe that, that, um, that by, uh, that, uh, that, you know, uh, you can say anything you want, but it's your actions on which you are judged. And so, therefore, I believe in the uh, with with, um, with Elias on this that we really should that we are really a religion that uh, that because of our because of our belief, our actions drive that belief, but also our by by actually but by action but our actions also drive um, who we become. So that's kind of where where I'm, I'm at with that. Well, just so I understand you before moving to Michelle and Eliza, are you saying belief matters or it doesn't matter? I'm saying belief matters, but I think that we, that we get to believe by what we do. So you're saying belief matters, but it's secondary or tertiary. I, uh, guess, I, yeah, I, guess, I guess I could, I guess so. That's what I'm just trying to understand, yeah, yeah. Michelle. So I, I, picking up from Dan, I think it's really important it's, that it's not a either or in yeah, our yeah. tradition. The yeah. idea is that you will do, and then you will believe. It, it actually is doing in the service of cultivating belief, which yeah. is an important principle for us as Jews that you don't always need to be, I mean, even Abraham didn't always have moments where he was completely like, yeah, you're totally right, God. There were moments where Abraham comes and says, God, I don't think that what you're doing is right. But Abraham's having a conversation with God, and Abraham is doing in service of coming close to God. And I think at our best, that's our Jewish ideal, that we do in service of embodying the ideals of our belief. Right. And Michelle, what happens if, so we're wrestling, we're doing in the service of, what if we do, and we never quite get to belief? Uh, so that's a, I, I think, look, there is, there is, <laughs> There, there are two ways to look at that, right? One is if you do and you never quite get to believing, right? Okay, you tried, you were on the path, you were in conversation. That conversation itself mattered and made you better because you were always wrestling with can I do more? And the other way to look at it is to say, well, if you never get there, you still did the things. So, yay. Congratulations. But in, in which case, I just wanna I just wanna speak truth here, in which case belief in the end doesn't really that matter that much. I mean here's No no wait, wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. No, no, I'm not <laughs> but if it does like if what really matters is the deed. Yeah. Um and you wrestle and wrestle but you don't believe, uh then does belief really matter if what's really primary is that you're doing the deed? I mean, look, you can look at this through the frame of the Talmud's concept right. of which is more important learning to learn right. or to do, and the answer is learning because it will ultimately lead you to doing. Right. You look at it in the same way, which is more important, doing or believing? Well, the doing, because the doing ultimately leads you to the believing right. and not the other way around. And I, I think that the ultimate aspiration when you're looking at that hierarchy right. is to have a relationship with God and to be part of our people's conversation so, with holiness over many generations. So, Michelle, I love what you just said. I'm just wondering how you mm. square it with Maimonides. So I'd love you to read, if you don't mind, Maimonides' commentary on the Mishnah introduction to chapter Chelek. Chelek means portion. And there's this idea that all Israel gets a chelek, a portion in the world to come, except for 
there are some people who don't get a chilek. There are some people who don't get a portion. And one of the groups that don't get a portion are people who have improper beliefs. And this is Maimonides, right? So, so this is Maimonides trying to say, everybody, you could be a sinner, you could do all kinds of bad stuff, but you still have a portion in the world to come, but you don't have a portion if you have improper belief. And this is Maimonides. So I'm wondering if you could read that and then explain how you react. We're sure, on page on five, five, bottom of page five. When a man believes in all these fundamental principles and his faith is thus clarified, he is then part of that Israel whom we are to love, pity, and treat as God commanded with love and fellowship. Even if a Jew should commit every possible sin out of lust or mastery by his lower nature, he will be punished for his sins, but will still have a share in the world to come. He is one of the sinners of Israel. But is as if a man gives up any one of these fundamental principles, he has him removed himself from the Jewish community. He is an atheist, a heretic, an unbeliever who cuts among the plantings. We are commanded to hate him and destroy him. Of him it is said, shall I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Um, yes. So uh, what um, do you do with that? Uh, for me, uh, it's all about the social context in which Maimonides was engaging the people that he was talking right. to. I think there's a lot of fear, a lot of pressure that the world out there has something to say. It's more compelling for our young people and it's more, you know, we're losing a piece of our of our population. They're not honoring in the way that they should. And and hey, let's make a really strong rule so that if you don't believe this stuff, that core right. Jewish stuff, then you're out. Right, and and whenever we say you're out, what we're really really saying is like it's it's really scary to me that our Jewish tradition might enable us to to reach a little bit outside of our right. of of ourselves to accept a different belief. We have this even today. I mean, even today we have people who are very. Um, I mean, go back. You don't need today. I mean, Eliza and I are here. There are people who are still, you know, this is a this is a problematic belief for the Jewish people that women should be equally invested in the mitzvot. Um, we can't believe those things. For me, what, what I make of this, Maimonides was not widely accepted by everybody right. in his time. He got a lot of pushback right. for this. There were a lot of people who said, no, you know, thank you, but no thank you. Mm. Eliza, I love your voice. It just feels to me like it's not about belief or action. That Christianity said you don't need the action, that belief is enough, and Judaism says it's belief and action. And that might be not saving each month, might be do it and then believe, but it might actually be, be believe and then do it. Right. And and we're not separating the two. We're about full body, full spirit, full all you know, all four worlds, all four Kabbalistic worlds of physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual that your whole being has to be invested in your life and it doesn't work to just have one part of you adhering to tradition and the other you know the rest of you not doing anything and the perfect, yet, the perfect and yet, summation the perfect and yet i agree with all of you what you said but in everyday life we will find many more people who say i'm going to do circumcision i'm going to do bar mitzvah because that's what we Jews do do I believe in God? Eh, not necessarily, but that's what we do. You have many more people doing that by people saying the opposite. I strongly believe in God. I'm not doing the bar mitzvah. So it's, I'm not so sure the balance is 50-50. Right. 
Um, and yes, I just want to say, so please. the perfect summation of what Elisa said is in, in that, you know, if, if oh, people, oh, sorry, with all, that when, when we believe in God, we, you know, Shema Yisrael and Elohenu, that we believe in God with all, with the, uh, the entirety of our soul, the entirety of our strength, and the entirety of our heart. So, so it is actually all rolled into one. And when people ask, you know, does Judaism have a creed? I've always been led to believe that, yes, our creed is the Shema and the Viyahavta. Mm. So we also have a creed called Yigdal, which is on page uh, five. And I want to ask you um, about what do you do with parts of our creed that, if you're being entirely honest about it, you just can't really accept. For example, um, that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Uh, Maui, that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, the Morocco earthquake. That God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, well, I don't know, maybe the Holocaust. So what do you do with that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, your good friend or loved one who has cancer? So what do you do with um, parts of our creed? I mean, it, it's hard to get bent out of shape about Adonai Echad, but what do you do with parts of our creed that are really tough to own? You, you have to thank me every Friday night what I do for you and your own spirituality. <laughs> I sing Igdal in such a high key that you can never reach it, so you can never <laughs> say out loud the words. We'll go directly <laughs> to Odiavo Shalom Aleinu. So you are lucky, you know? Uh. It's because of me that you don't get to say these words. Uh. <laughs> um, no, I, I want to I wanna respond, actually, because many years ago, I, um, I really felt pretty strongly that one should believe what one prays. If you don't, why are you wasting right. your time in prayer? And one of the ways to approach that is the way that um, you know, our movement and some other liberal movements have approached it, which is to change the words. And for me, I happened upon what works for me theologically, which is to, which is to reframe the words and recontextualize. Um, there's this beautiful moment um, where, where we see our ancestors not just praying to God, but also calling God to the mat. I mean, I think Rosh Hashanah is one of those places when we think of the stories of our ancestors before us. And that calling God to the mat moment is how I filter my prayer, which is like, hey, God. What does that I, mean, by I the way, calling yigdal, God to the mat? When what is, I, when what do you I mean say yigdal, I'll tell you. When I say yigdal and I say that God, you know, is the one who rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked, I'm like, all right, God, you listening? Right. Are you, hello. Right. So, this uh, is what you should be. This is what you should do do and it's part of my internal conversation with God to say I have these principles, I have these ideas and I have these ideals and I want to be in conversation about not just you fulfilling them but how I can fulfill them and, and further your goal on this world that that should indeed be the case. It's not the case so, now. So you channel kind of doubt into a chutzpahdik challenge to God exactly. in the kind of chutzpahdik challenge tradition but then also not only challenge God, but challenge you to build so that Can that I say world. something right. yeah. um, in, in regards to your opening question about what are we in the market for? In my own case, I'm always working on my faith. 
because I love rituals. I love the deeds, and, and that's what usually I'm for. You know, when we skip Oshanot, anyways, <laughs> no, just kidding. Right. Uh, but, you know, but I'm working constantly on my faith, and, and there are some things that openly I can read here in the Igdal that I said I strongly believe in that, and then the other thing is I've never seen that, and I've never seen in history that that happened. So it's it's not necessarily that we believe or not believe is it's we perhaps don't believe in the totality yeah. of, of what Sidur and Mahsor say. I was just gonna say I think this is also a case where these beliefs would shape action in a more powerful way than other beliefs. And so this is a case where Judaism's attachment to belief and action shapes beliefs that might not actually be possible because if you believe that God rewards the righteous, that's going to make you act in a certain way. And if you believe that God lifts up right, the upright, you're going to do things in a particular way. And so it's not necessarily, and I think this is the key thing, for us, we're willing to attach ourselves to ideals that might not be real in order to actualize potential action that could be healing and helpful. Mm. And that is the recovery part, which we're going to get to. That's part three, which I'll get to. I just, um, before we get, so hold on to that comment and we'll get to it in a minute. But Elias, I want to, um, I want to talk to you for a second about the comment about working on our faith. I mean, most of us are, have enough uh, tread on our tire. We, we've lived enough years that we can go back and let's say, look at pictures of ourselves from let's say 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, my, my college graduation pictures. And, and when you look at your, a picture of yourself from 40 years ago, you can see how you've changed physically, how you've dressed, the glasses have changed, the clothes have changed, your hair has changed, you know, grayer, et cetera, lots of changes. Um, and it kind of raises the question, of, uh, the, the physical stuff, it's easy to see how it has changed. My question is, if you were to look at a picture of Elias Rosenberg from 40 years ago, or Dan, or Michelle, or Eliza, not quite 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> if you were to look back at a picture of yourself decades ago, um, you know, the, the hair and the, ch and, and the clothes change. Um, fashions and what you eat and drink and how you eat and drink and what you watch on TV, all that changes. Um, but would you say that your faith has fundamentally changed as much as your clothing and hair do over the last 40 years? First of all, I look much better now than 40 years ago. Uh. <laughs> I was 13 at the time. Anyways, um, so um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Clearly. How so? How, how well, was I was I was a boy. I didn't know what I was doing. I loved. I, at the time, I already loved singing at synagogue. I had no connection with the text or whatsoever, and uh, my my faith has been has been shaped by my experiences, life experiences, and also learning more. I think that learning and studying and reading takes you to a different place where you start seeing things in a different way. Mm. Colleagues, anyone else? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually like with Elias on that, that I think, I think fundamentally it's not different, but uh, I think it is actually at a different level for me. The other thing that, that Elias said earlier is you talked about like, you know, loving ritual and stuff. The, and as we, as we think about our interactions with our congregants all the time, people most of the time, at least when they come to me, they don't ask me, what should I believe? They ask me, what should I do? You know, how should I deal with this ritual? How should I deal with that? So I think that this concept of, of doing leads, leading to belief, I think is actually fundamental to the conservative movement as we are. Radically different. I grew up in Malibu, California. <laughs> I, I mean, probably enough said. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, the 
actually, it is belief and changing my belief and my relationship with God that has me sitting here today. Because one of the things that I experienced as a child was a reconstructionist Judaism, which really said to me that, you know, God is just sort of everywhere. We, you know, we, we're belief, we're, we're deed, not, not belief. Don't worry about God. That's been fractured since the Holocaust. It's, it's not relevant to our lives. We're a community, and the community decides on our folkways, we'll continue with the traditions that really matter to us. And to me, that, that was not sufficient to have me interested in or engaged with Jewish life. Okay, if that's true, like there are a lot of other communities out there that could be interesting or compelling. Mm. To me, it was through the process of coming into relationship with what, what I feel is a God who asks more of me that I became the religious person I am today. Mm. Thank you, Michelle. Alizia, did you want to add? Yeah, I, I think that I, as a young person, very much attached myself to these theologies that are just totally unreal. And so I think becoming an adult has um, sort of forced me to grapple with the reality of the world and then to come back to these principles. And I would say that my faith changes every day, all the time. Like even just the, the, the summer and maternity leave was a really different, radically different experience of faith for me. Um, it was the first time that I didn't have a davening practice because I couldn't tell when morning was because I was just up every hour of the day. And that I just like, it, it was like, I've never experienced a, a different reality like that. Um, and that really changed my relationship with God and my relationship with the world. And, and that um, I think for me, faith is a way that you deal with the difference between how you think things are going to be and how things actually are. And faith is the process of, of grappling with that. Mm. Wes, can you tell yeah. us your thoughts about this? Yeah, I wish I had as happy a trajectory as the four of you, uh, which I don't. Uh, in other words, I hear in each of your stories real deepening, real radical change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when I think about me at 20 saying Kaddish for my father, me at 62 saying Kaddish for my father, I'm still asking a lot of the same questions that do not have answers um, and causing a lot of, and, and also I would say that the world has changed much for the worse in the last 42 years. Um, the division, the toxicity, the negative energy, the brokenness in Israel, in America, uh, the fact that democracy is uh, under siege throughout the world, um, the, the, the fact that hate is on the rise, the fact that um, you know, we have to worry about swatting at the high holidays in 2023 in Newton, Massachusetts. Um, all of that stuff leaves the questions that I asked as a 20-year-old not only still unanswered, but unanswered and more painfully unanswered. So I wish I had your kind of trajectory. I, I don't. I don't. I just but you had a huge change in your life from 40 years ago. You became a rabbi. Yeah, yeah. So I, now I get to ask these questions all day long. But I still... <laughs> I still don't have answers, but I, what I want to—I want to uh, close our time with um, with the rest. So, so part one of this class from Daniel was that actually creed matters a lot, and and, and what you believe. God bless you, cutie pie. Uh, that 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 belief matters a lot. Part two is he gives us this Maimonides stuff about if you don't believe, you don't get your chelik, which is very off-putting for moderns and requires a kind of a, a, a resolution of recovery. So um, 
Danielle does not use this phrase, but I, I'll use how I, my phrase to talk about part three of this class, which is uh, American pragmatism from William James, uh, who wrote Friday's a Religious Experience. And James has the following test of a religious tradition, which is, by the fruits you shall know it, not by the roots. By the fruits you shall know it, not by the roots. In other words, if there's a religious tradition, X, Y, or Z, right, how do we evaluate it? Judge it by the fruits, not by the roots. Judge it by the fruits. What does this religious tradition bring into the world? Um, you know, if you have a religious tradition which encourages its adherents to go and murder innocents, that's, that's not a good religious tradition. If you have a religious tradition which encourages its, in, its adherents to go and be selfless and go to places in the world that are suffering and add love and care, that's a good religious tradition. So um, what Daniel points out is um, kind of to the, what all of you have been talking about, that belief is frequently connected to action in ways that, that creates a virtue cycle, that you believe, and then you act, and then you believe, and then you act. And they're mutually reinforcing. So take a look um, on page um, nine of the handout. Um, let's say, um, let's say one, when one of the big, big beliefs is God freed us from slavery in Egypt. Okay? So there's an action concomitant that comes from this. So look on page, the bottom of page uh, nine. This is text 15. Um, when a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, um, whether you believe or you don't believe that God took us out of the land of Egypt, um, we, we come from a people that was vulnerable, and since you know what it's like to be vulnerable, um, then be compassionate to the vulnerable, right? That move is a recurrent move. So if you look two, a few texts above, two texts above, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So let's say that goes whoosh. You know, what does that even mean? Creation, science, uh, uh, poetry, uh, uh, what am I supposed to do with that, Right? Um, here's what um, the Torah does with it that Daniel brings. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, or your cattle, or the stranger who is with your settlements. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and then rested on the seventh. Therefore God blessed the seventh and hallowed it. Therefore all the people in your orbit are supposed to rest on the seventh. So in both of these cases, you take a theological proposition, God saved us from Egypt, therefore, be kind to the vulnerable. God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, therefore, make sure that the people in your orbit have rest on the seventh day. So there's this whole action, faith, concomitant. <laughs> Colleagues, comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, well, then here's this question. What... I want to come back. Wait, wait. Yeah. wait. So, so I, I want to come back. The comment is clear to me. Right. This thing about number, uh, what is it, 15. Right. It's a clear demonstration that we are much more about deeds than creed. Correct. And and so I want to come Because it doesn't no, matter no, no, if no. you believe that God right. took us from Egypt. Right. He lives what you do. Right. And you treat no, the strangers and the foreigners it. well. Yeah. 
Right. No, you can no, 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 I win. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, no, the fact, here's the thing. If you believe that God took you out of Egypt, right, then you actually cultivate compassion. Wow, I was there. I had this experience. I am now responsible for those who are still in bondage somewhere in the world. Now, can you get there the other way? Can you say, oh, I'm just going to cultivate compassion, and then maybe you know I can really like this story? Maybe, yeah, probably. You could do the thing and then get to the faith. You could do the thing without having the faith. But you can't have the faith and not wrestle with the call to do the thing. And I would say it's also paired together for a reason. It doesn't say just do the thing. It says have this consciousness to do the thing because that that deed is more rich because of your consciousness. It's not enough to just do it. Like, you could do it, but it, but there's a richness that but comes. But consciousness doesn't come from community. believing in that God has took us from Egypt. For no, sure it, it does. It shapes a no. community that believes our core value. One of our core values is going to be to see the unseen, to help the forgotten, to love the stranger as ourselves. Those are core principles. They're in the water. We don't even know about them. They're shaping our thinking. And because they shape our thinking, they inevitably shape the way we approach Yeah, but the world. one point is that you don't need to believe in God to make this happen. And I would add, I, no, and I would add, I think most of Temple Emmanuel, from my experience, um, is very good with be compassionate to the stranger and not very good with the God who took us out of Egypt because where was that God during the Holocaust? Yeah, I, and I where was that God I, with I Morocco? So, I, so I, can I just make the point that in the end, I, I mean, I like what you say, and I think what you say is authentic Judaism, but I think it's not, act just, to, just to name it, I, th I think most of us say yes to the action piece and end up kind of giving up on the faith piece, or not, not caring about the faith piece, or because the action piece is what matters, our faith doesn't actually evolve or change I, or deepen. Yeah. I want to call into this room uh, David Wolpe. Yes. Who, like Rabbi David Wolpe gave this sermon that made, at least in Los Angeles, it made the front right. page of the newspaper. Like right. Rabbi of a major congregation right. says the exodus didn't happen. happen right. right. And one of his points in that is that actually the story doesn't have to necessarily do with God. Like I, I believe that it has to do with God. It speaks to my relationship with God. But if you you can ironically not believe in God and still believe the story that God took us out of Egypt, <laughs> right? What do I mean by that? Meaning that there, you, can, uh, you can make it an abstraction enough that you say this story is the story of my people, the story of our values, and it's not just God that shapes our creed, but also core stories core faith stories and experiences that we share. Mm. We shared the experience of going out of Egypt together, and that experience, regardless of how we see God's role in it, still shapes the faith and the belief of it's who we are as a people. Right, and Neil Gilman, so Neil Gilman wrote this book uh, in the 90s, Sacred Fragments, yeah. and he, he's all about the stories that we tell, his word for it, which rubs some people the wrong way, but it's a beautiful word, is, yes, um, is myth. That, these are, that there are these myths that we tell, the stories that we tell, and the stories are true. We make them true by having Pesach every year, regardless of whether there actually is a God. Um, so, colleagues, I want to, um, 
I want to end this uh, piece of the class by just coming back to the orienting question, which is, um, it's Slichot tonight, and it's Rosh Hashanah next week. And the question is, do we, each of us, the clergy team at Temple Emmanuel, do we need to be working on our beliefs or not? Yes. And what, and what are you going to be working on? Um, so I think that, for me, the beliefs that I'm thinking about working on are um, ideas that I have about myself or about the world that cause pain. That I, you know, I think about what I should or could have done and that perseveration creates challenge. So those ideas and, and getting to a God that, that um, you know, working on my relationship with God and what I believe about God, that what is God capable of and where is God showing up and how does that impact me and the world, excuse you. Um, those are things that I'm going to be working on. Mm. Yeah, and, and tonight we are going to be doing an, a little extended version of Avinu Malkeinu in a beautiful setting where we ask God to end starvation and malice and different things, and that is exactly what you're saying, Alisa, that that's the hardest part that we have to work on believing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for me, it's really very similar. I... I after you know after all these years I still every year around this time think about how my relationship with God can be deeper on a daily basis uh, and not just around the the, the high holidays. Mm. It's all faith. It's all about our faith in the process that we can lay out our shortcomings um, before something bigger than ourselves and do better. Do better tomorrow than we did today. Yeah. So I just want to name a big disconnect, guys. Um, it's all about faith. You're all about God. You're all about your relationship with God. Uh, so many of the folks that I see in the synagogue just are not God people. So ha they're just not God people. They don't care about God. They don't resonate to God. God goes whoosh. Um, and that just happens all the time. You know, when Harold Kushner died and I did a bunch of teachings about God from Harold Kushner, the response, you remember this, this was a bar mitzvah class. Like, no hands are going up. And I... I said, geez, this class is really underachieving. I've obviously failed. Why? And, and then every hand went up, and they said, we're not God people. Um, so I want to just ask you a question, which is, if it's all about faith, and we're all about God and deepening our relationship with God, but much of our congregation, much of our congregation is not God people, how do you navigate that disconnect? So I don't know. Maybe it's my reconstructionist roots, but I really believe very strongly. I said the word faith. I didn't say it's all about God, right? We have God. And for me, that's my, that's my go-to, because the something bigger than myself that I have a relationship with is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. That, that God is who I'm going to be having the conversation with. Mm. But the fact is that you say it goes whoosh, but I would ask those of you in the room and those of you online, how many of you are engaged in a process at this season because our Jewish tradition says, hey, it's time to take a look at yourself where you're kind of examining yourself and saying, where were my shortcomings? How did I do this year? Can I do better? Maybe you're even seeking out some people in and your life where you want to say you're sorry. Why are you doing that? That is the faith. You're agreeing with us that tradition. we end up thinking so, more about deeds than creeds. Well, let no, me but, but I'm saying there, there is a... There is a narrative. Yeah. There is a story that our tradition has helped us shape, and that is belief. And let me just end with this idea. Because, as, as you know, I am very, um, 
I struggle a lot with God and connecting with God and always have and all those questions always do and always will. But I will say one thing that, um, that I pick up every year and I've been wondering for the last 27 years, how does this grow? Is what happens, all the people here, are beloved friends and members who are not God people, comes into Elah and they come up to the ark as the last hour of the holiday season and they're literally crying. And they're literally pouring out their hearts to the God they don't believe in, the other 364 days a year. And that's real, right? They get on, and these are the skeptics and the scientists, and they don't believe, and, they cons and the Holocaust, and Morocco, and Maui, and cancer, and they don't believe, and how could you, and what are you? And they come up, and they are, they are deeply invested in that moment with the God that the other part of the year they don't believe in, but they do here. And, and my question has always been, how do we grow that? Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everyone.